Why don't we just start by reading the sixth verse of Nehemiah 4, and I'll sort of pick up there, okay? So Nehemiah 4, verse 6. It says, At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. Now, again, I don't want to assume that everyone knows uh, about Nehemiah. At the same time, I, I have to assume that we've, many of us have now a building knowledge of it. So I just want to quickly reset this. Nehemiah is living at a time uh, where the walls of the city of Jerusalem have been broken down, completely demolished by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. It's been about 150 years. The exiles have been allowed to return to the city of Jerusalem, and they've repopulated it. But no one for generations now has ever actually rebuilt the walls and the gates. So they lay in rubble. The city, although inhabited, is in rubble, especially the gates and the walls. Now, for us, we look at us, the idea of an ancient city is different than a modern city. A modern city without walls, I mean, it doesn't really, we don't really make the connection. But in the ancient world, a city, a great city that did not have walls was essentially unable to protect itself. Walls were essential for security. What it meant was you had the ability to sustain your assets, the ability to, to build things and, and to establish things with relative security. Not perfect security, but relative security. Because if you didn't have walls, you were completely vulnerable to raiding parties and oppressors. And that's exactly what was happening in Jerusalem at this time. Again, hundreds of years before Christ's birth, about 150 years since the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar had leveled the city, they're returning to this place, but they have never rebuilt these walls. And so they... They've sort of got accustomed to living with the brokenness. And Nehemiah had, had it put into his heart while he was serving the king of Persia to go and do something about it. And through a miraculous se- turns of events, God opens up the possibility for him to lead a, re- a rebuilding project of the walls and the gates. And the gates were critical if you were going to have trade in your city. And of course, there, were, uh, there was a tremendous amount of opposition to that project because there were people outside of Jerusalem regional leaders who had gained control of the trade routes and specifically of the money. And so they didn't want to see Jerusalem rebuilt. But Nehemiah had a desire to see his people have a place of security and also to see the stigma of what that actually meant. Here are they saying that they're the people of God. They've been allowed to have a victorious return to Jerusalem, and yet look at how they're living. It was, it was, it was sad. And Nehemiah comes to do something about that. He's given the resources. He encourages the people. Now, okay, okay, here's the thing. What we said was, and in fact, what we just read is, they actually started building, and they built the wall halfway around. We'll talk about that in a moment. We made the application that we can think about Jerusalem as if it is a metaphor as well. We talked about how, in many ways, that the, the broken down walls and the burned gates of Jerusalem can also be thought of as, as if a human personality that has brokenness in it as well. And we've been making the case that it's almost as if, you know, the Lord wants to help some of us build our lives to points of security and strength, that he cares about our human personality, that he wants to see the things that have been rubble or broken built to places of wholeness, where there's growth and security and the ability to sustain something of goodness in God. Now, again, I think that a lot, the truth is that a lot of us, even those of us, not, not just who have been following the Lord for a little while, but maybe for a number of years, we may be keenly aware of, of some of the things that we struggle with, that we really believe, but we also have a real sense of our weakness. And it might have to do with certain things that we have a, an awareness of, like, like habits that we've acquired that are bad habits, that they're not good. Um, in fact, we don't even like it anymore. And uh, we wish we didn't have it, but it's become so ingrained, so intertwined into our life. I mean, the culture has some toxic elements to it. It's an amazing culture, but it also has toxicity in it. And it means that, that some of us can find ourselves in places that we're really stuck, and we're not happy about it, and we don't even want anybody to know about it. Some of us carry things like that. There's a sense like that, that the walls are broken down and part of who we are. Others of us, it might have to do with memories of our past or, or attitudes that, that sort of just come out of us or patterns of behavior that we, we've been sort of stuck with for a number of years. Just It could be sins, issues that we're struggling with. But the bottom line is they plague us and at some level undermine our confidence and our ability to move forward with the plans that God has for us. And so just kind of thinking about that, they, here's the thing. The, the, the people of Jerusalem had become content to live far below what God had for them. 
They had accepted the conditions. And again, it's not unlike some of us who might find that we have a real faith, and yet we've, we've sort of bought into the idea that this is how it will always be for me or for us, that we will always have this problem. And so there's an element of sort of being at peace with a dysfunction or something that is unhealthy, something that we're actually ashamed of and don't even want anymore, and, and yet at the same time feel somewhat powerless in terms of our confidence to really address it. And this is at the heart of what we're sharing. So keeping that in mind, let's go back to Nehemiah's account and see what happens. Here they are at a point of significant progress. They've actually completed something. Let's look at verse 6, and then we'll kind of move through the passage. He says, at last the wall was completed. It was completed to half of its height around the entire city. And Nehemiah says, and the reason it happened is because the people had worked with enthusiasm. And his, what he's pointing out is that there were two reasons why they had made such progress. One, they had decided to respond to Nehemiah's you know, encouragement and his exhortation and his challenge when he said, this is your time to break out. God has sent me. He's given me resource and favor with the king. We need to end this disgrace and break out of this situation. This is our time. And the people responded to that and said, we will do it. And then Nehemiah said that they began to do it. They started building. And they started building with a degree, we're told here, of enthusiasm. They started working together. Remember, we've been talking about the power of community and the power of serving together and the power of, and why we talk about the benefit of being in a small group, connecting, building friendships, building a community presence. Because what it does is it's a reminder that there are some types of breakthrough that when we have others with us, our strength to stick with it will be really enhanced. And so anyway, they were working, they were making progress, but look what happens. It says that there was some enemies that arose. Now, it's important, I think, to not try to read too much in terms of what's going on right now in the Middle East into what they were experiencing. You'll see some similarities. I just want to kind of focus on what Nehemiah was having to deal with and sort of sit with it. He says, but when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Amorites and the Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. Now, remember I told you, I said, the regional leaders, the regional oppressors, didn't want the situation changed. They liked it the way that it was. We know that Sambalat even had his family intermarry with the high priest. And so there was this, this he had a grip on the power. And he, it was in his interest commercially to keep Jerusalem from having their walls rebuilt and their gates restored. So he is fiercely opposed to the idea of rebuilding the walls because it will change the power equation and the leverage will shift. So he and others are fiercely opposed. It says that they were furious. The words, they're extremely angry. They had gone from just mildly opposed and to ridiculing to a point now and, and being disturbed about the possibility to now that they were actually seeing that what was happening. They got really angry to so much that Nehemiah says that they actually started to make plans. He says they all made plans to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God. And we guarded the city day and night. That's what we did. And we did this to protect ourselves. So there's prayer and precaution. There's prayer and practical action on his part. There's a pragmatism and a prayer. There's both and, not either or. Then the people of Judah began to complain, though, he says. And the workers, they said, we're, we're getting tired. And there's just so much rubble to be moved. And then <laughs> we'll never be able to build the wall by ourselves. And then, and then meanwhile, he says, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we're going to swoop down on them, and we're going to kill them, and we're going to end their work. And then, then there were the Jews who were living near the enemy, outside of the city, and they started telling us again, yeah, they're going to come from all directions. They're just going to attack you and overwhelm you. And so Nehemiah, all of a sudden, he says, here we are, in the middle of making progress. We've actually built the wall halfway around, I mean, all the way around, halfway to its height. And he says, and in the middle of this moment, when we should have been rejoicing, all of a sudden, he says, there's this wave of opposition that starts coming. Design, first off, it has to do with the news that, that the enemies are extremely upset with what's happening and are going to attack. So there's that aspect, external opposition. Then Nehemiah says, but there was also something going on inside the people. They were starting to lose their heart. They were looking at it, and they started saying, you know, we can't do it. They're getting tired. We, the momentum was dropping. So he's got an internal issue with the morale. So he says, we have a morale problem. 
with everybody's losing heart, then there's the, our enemies are beginning to mobilize. And then on top of that, he says, the, there are some Jews outside of the city who should be supporting us. And what they're doing is now they're speaking into the situation and they're telling us to be absolutely afraid. They're, they should be reminding us and helping us. And instead, he says, they're hindering us by what they're saying. They're just trying to create even more fear and more paranoia. So he's got multiple things that are happening coming against him. And it's a pretty interesting situation. And, and again, I wanted to just sit with this for a moment because when adversity comes at us, um, and we're going to see it here as well, it's very easy to get discouraged. And uh, I want to just kind of look at why they were getting discouraged and then apply it to ourselves and see if we can glean some life from it. So let's just kind of approach it this way. Let's say that there, the effect of the adversity was essentially fourfold, and it's in this passage here. Number one, just to, they had lost their strength. Now, what I mean by that is this. They were starting to get weary. You notice it says in verse 10 that the people of, Nehemiah says, then the people of Judah began to complain, and the workers, the workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. And, and, and we're not going to be able to do this. In other words, he's saying, he notes that they're, they're starting to really just lose their enthusiasm, that enthusiasm that had been such an important part of the outset of this project. I think a lot of us know that at the be- we've talked about this. The beginning of anything that we're seeking to accomplish is a, a critical period. The energy that it takes to launch something is, is, is a big deal. I mean, it takes a lot to launch. And, and, but also that's one of the more real enjoyable times as well because there's so much opportunity for creativity and no one knows what it's going to be and there's kind of an expectation. And so a lot of times that early period of moving together to accomplish something can be really stimulating and uh, it just inspires us. But oftentimes uh, it's the middle place where we bog down. This is true of a lot of aspirations in life. It's that place where the initial enthusiasm is starting to wane, and it gets to a point where it starts to really feather out. And yet, we're still so far away from our goal that we really can't see it so that we are just going, oh, because when you see something and you go, I just got to keep pushing because it's right there, that has an energy too. So sometimes there's the power of launching, and there's sometimes the power of what we can see pulling us in. But that middle place sometimes is a really hard place. It's a place where a lot of dreams die. It's a place where a lot of good intentions come to an end. It's the middle place where we get tired, where we're losing our heart. We don't know if it's worth it anymore. It's easy to quit in the middle place. I found that in life, a lot of times, we really ought to challenge that. I'm not saying there isn't a time to strategically quit something where we go, boy, it's not what I thought. I need to make a decision here, and I need to probably cut my losses and and call it a day. That's true. There are those moments, but most of the time, it's better for us to finish things. Quitting becomes a habit in life. And if we give ourselves too many outs, what happens is, because see, adversity, anything that we're trying to do that has quality will carry adversity with it. It's going to have times where our, we're going to be challenged when we're trying to build something of quality, a breakthrough in our life, enhance our walk with God, build into a relationship, break out, move out the rubble, build up health. You see what I'm saying? When that's happening in life, finish, a, finish something that we're trying to pursue, we've been dreaming about doing, finishing it. See, in those places, we've got to really challenge ourselves because there's always going to be reasons to, to give up and to let go. So here they are exhausted. They were tired. When we're tired, we can get ourselves into trouble. A lot of mistakes are made when we're weary, when we're overstretched, when we're not thinking straight. And uh, our body's tired. We're mentally tired. Um, we're, we're not honoring the Sabbath principle. The reason God put the Sabbath principle in, into play is because we're not God. We have breaking points. And even the best of us are not superhuman. We're all, we're all capable of breaking if the bow is too tightly wound and pulled for too long. And so one of the things that's happening is here is that they're working so hard But after a while, they're beginning to get tired. And so a lot of them are starting to talk about quitting. So they had lost their their ability, their their beginning. They've lost their strength. But not only did they lose their strength, look what else they lost. They had lost their focus. And focus is huge. 
It's a revealing. Look at verse 10, if you can. It says that, then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. We're never going to be able to build these walls by ourselves. I mean, they're, they're, that's a very revealing phrase. There's so much rubble, so much debris, so much stuff left that, you know what? We're never going to be able to do this. And the irony, of course, is that they were already halfway there. I mean, they had made such huge, the wall was halfway built, but there was so much rubble, so much uh, debris uh, that they are still left, that they were beginning to feel discouraged. They looked at their situation and they started saying, you know, in, in, instead of seeing, listen, the wall half built and saying, wow, look what we've accomplished with God's grace and help. Instead, they're looking at all the stuff that isn't done. The focus was on what was the problem, not on the progress. And a lot of times we focus on our problem and not enough on our progress. And it's very easy, because when we start focusing on the problem, we will become discouraged. It's very easy to become disheartened in those places, and I've known that to be true. A lot of us have made real progress. Look, I've, I've run into times where we're feeling like we're in a patch of real defeat. Things aren't working. Um, we're not, our confidence is waning, whatever. You know, the bottom line is we're in that place where we're, we're wondering if we're ever gonna get out of it. And in that place, it's just so easy, it's easy to get discouraged and, and and to start focusing on, a, on our limitations, on our weakness, on our failures, and our shortcomings, and the enormity of the task. And, and we just, again, we just start to become disheartened. And, it, and it's true with God, you know. We need to remember that this is not just an event, this Christian life. It's a, it's a process. It's both and, not either or. You know, there, there are moments where when someone comes to Jesus... It's, and this may have happened to a lot, a lot of, of us, but it doesn't always happen the same way. But I've seen it. When so, I've, I've watched God touch a person's life in, in such a radical way that what they were struggling with before, it's like the change just fall off. You know, and it's just the promise that says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. You know, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. That there are some, time, some, some things that happen, it's just so amazing. The past struggle, gone. Freedom. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I was reading, a, for example, I, I use, some, maybe a lot of us have heard about the book. It's been, it's been a bestseller now. It was, it's been over a year, I think, that it's been this way. It's still in the top ten. Uh, the book Unbroken by Laura Hillebrand, who was also the writer of Seabiscuit. The reason I bring that book up, is she, it wasn't written from a Christian perspective, but in that book, which tells the story of a man named Louis Zapparini, who was a world-class athlete at the outset of World War II, and he ends, up, he ends up serving, and he ends up getting shot down, and he has this extraordinary ordeal in the Pacific Ocean, only to be rescued <laughs> and be put into a prison camp. In the prison camp, there it is, it's, it's, it's like hell on earth. And he, he suffers so much indignity. And he witnesses such cruelty that his, he barely survives. But he, by the time he gets free, and it was not guaranteed it was going to happen, he barely survives. But when he gets out, he's anything but free because he's consumed in, ha in hatred. And he's been, he's been so dehumanized that he ha has an inability to really move on. He, he's trying, he's, the, the author paints this amazing picture, but he's still alive. He's, he's part of the, the generation that won't be with us much longer. It's an amazing generation, I might add. But the, he, his, he tells a story, he was so, ang so angry and he, he, even after he meets a woman who's a wonderful woman, he, that he gets married, he starts to, he just increase, he starts, he can't get rid of the demons. They're in his mind. He starts drinking. He's getting more and more just overwhelmed in his pain and in his anger and his resentment and his bitterness. And he's haunted by it. And he has dreams of vengeance. And it's just consuming him. He can't live. His wife ends up being brought by a friend who had invited her to a Billy Graham crusade. And... She ends up really being affected by it. She wants to bring him. He won't. Now, that's not what the book is primarily about, but it's a piece of it at the end. 
and it tells you so much. But he, he won't go. He says, I'm not going there. And, but eventually he goes. And you know what happens? And again, this is not being told from a person who has a, a Christian perspective. It is coming from just, this is what happened. It's like there was a moment there where he just turned, and, he, and instead of walking out, he turns and he makes the walk in. And he surrenders his life to Jesus. And in that moment, it is radically altered. Radically altered. It's like the prisoner is free. And he, he goes back, and, and, and he tells, they tell us, tells us what happened. He says his wife is shocked because he, he comes back home, and the first thing he does, and this was his, what he did, but he comes back home, and he finds every place where he has had his alcohol, and he just dumps it down the drain, and he starts a new life. And it's an amazing story because he still has got that love for God twinkling in his eye even now. But it's a reminder. Here's the thing. It was like a miracle, they said. Just like a stunning breakout of the power of Christ to set a prisoner free. And yet, I want to say this, that for a lot of us, and it's true of anyone who's following Jesus, there are moments where, and I don't know how to explain it, but there are some times where we experience a, a miraculous transformation in one area of our life. It's like the power of God is there, and so we're just set free from something. But then there are other areas in our lives where even though we've had a real, real relationship with the Lord, we're still trying to battle through it. it, it it's like it becomes a long, some things go, and other things, it's a process. We're battling it. We've been doing it. It comes back and forth on us. It's a process of growth and wrestling, prayer, repentance, fighting our way through. But God, you could take this away. Why aren't you taking this away? But it doesn't always work that way. And I personally have found in my own life with God that sometimes it's in those areas of weakness and limitation. And yes, when I'm confronted with my own sinfulness and brokenness, that I am most aware of how much I need God's grace in my life. And in that broken place where it would be easy to just sort of say, wow, you know, why? is actually something that gives me great sympathy for, for all of us who, who are essentially all of us are wounded at some level. We're just wounded healers in Jesus' name, really. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and so sometimes it's a process, and in some areas of our life it's going to be a process, and we've got to learn how to not be discouraged because we're not getting breakthrough all the time in an area. Let me, let me just put this, and I'll just this real quickly. Two things I've learned. One is it has to do with incrementalism. And I'm going to just say this, that, that sometimes we just need to attack our situation incrementally because the, if the big picture is too overwhelming to us. We're not making, it's like the idea that I'll ever really get breakthrough here, the idea that we're ever going to really be able to build something here is, is, is too, you know what? Then focus on the little. Just focus on the little piece of the wall. Just the little brick, little steps. Right? All I'm going to do right now, you know what? I'm just going to focus on taking this thing, and I'm just going to really, I, I can't worry. I'm just going to focus on this little piece here. That's what I'm going to do right now. Sometimes it's easy to run. It's great. Life is good. The sun's shining. The wind's at our back. It's just where, then there are other times where it's hard. One, incrementally, and two, notice this. Focus on, and these are, this is like kind of a, these are two little sub-pieces today had lost their focus. Focus on what has already been accomplished with God's help, you guys. This is huge. Think about it if you, for a moment. They had accomplished such a significant thing. Half the wall was built completely around. And instead of focusing on that, they were focusing on what wasn't done and all the problems. And it's like, we got to choose. We got to choose. I'm going to focus on what I, you know, God has done some amazing things. And when we're tempted to get discouraged, lose our focus, remind ourselves, you know what? God has done some special things here. Look at this. Not only has he given himself for me, but look at this. Focus on, focus on what has already been accomplished. But now, go back again. Thirdly, what had they lost? Okay, just quick. They had also, not only had they lost their strength, their focus, but they had lost, and I'll just put it this way, they had lost their confidence. When we lose our confidence, and you say, well, what do you mean? Well, look, it says, that, what is that telling phrase? They, they look around and they go, man, we're getting tired. Um, the, the, there's so much rubble, so their focus is on the, the debris, all that's still left to do. We're, and then they say this, and we're never going to be able to do it. We're never going to be able to do it. This is, we're never going to be able to build the wall. What you, and I'm just going, Nehemiah's going, what are you talking about? Look what you've already done. And they're going, no, nah, no, nah, we're giving up. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. Because they're, they're, their confidence is just being like hit. They're, 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 now they're telling themselves, we can't do it. But you built the wall 
halfway. Oh, do you see how much has already happened? It's too much. They're coming against us, and then we're tired, and, and, and it's just not going to happen. And even they've been telling us it's not going to happen. When are we going to quit? It's like, what do you, what do you, he said, well, you can't quit. You've got a whole wall. It's like, it's, you're there. We're right. Look how much has happened. But again, they're losing their confidence. They, they're taking their eyes off of where it needs to be. They're not, they're not reminding themselves of what. You see, they, got, they went from, excuse me, they went from let us rise up and build in, in 218 to we can't do this. We, let us do this to uh, it ain't never going to happen, you know. We can't build this wall. And, I'm, and you know, and the Bible reminds us in Hebrews 10, I just throw these verses out because I think it's just a great connect. It says this in Hebrews, it says, cast not away your confidence, which has great reward. Think about this. For you have need of endurance, patience, that after you have done the will of God, you will obtain the promise. And that's a great word for some of us. Don't get weary. Keep your feet moving. Keep moving. Keep running. There are times where it's like, you know, you start, hearing, you start telling yourself, why, well, I can't do this. I can't do it. I'm not going to make it. You know, this is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You're just going to give up. No, you got to keep moving. Keep moving. Cast not away your confidence. Cast it not away. It's a great reward. You have need of patience, endurance, that after you have done the will of God, you will obtain the breakthrough you need and are called into. Trust the Lord. Let faith rise. That's the peace. Then last thing I'll say, they lost also their sense of security. And how do I know that? Because they start letting fear get into them. And once fear gets a foothold into us, it could be very dangerous for us because fear begins to take over. And all of a sudden, it starts to grip our hearts and paranoia starts to set in. See, that's what was happening. We're going to get attacked. It's not going to make it. It's all going to fall apart. And, and all of a sudden, the fear is usually unhealthy. God has not given us, loved ones, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of soundness of mind. And there will be times when we will be, be afraid. And because we're afraid we're going to fail, we're afraid it's not going to happen. And I'm going to tell you something. In fact, sometimes that fear, by the way, is enhanced because of what people are telling us. And some of the most powerful, disheartening things can come because of things that people say to us. When we're already trying to have confidence and faith and someone says something to us that really hurts us, you know, it's interesting. I'll say this, and I'm not going to tell you see the details, but after Saturday evening service, I was having a conversation. I was feeling pretty good, actually. I was feeling like, yeah, Lord, I, uh, this is what it was in my heart to share, and I feel encouraged about where we're going. And I had this conversation. By the time I was done with that conversation, it's like my heart... I remember I walked out going, man, I am so discouraged. That was so discouraging to me. And they walked away happy, you know. <laughs> and, and for some reason, it was like, bam, it just hit me. And all my, it was like gone, you know. It's like, Lord, that, you know, it, it hurt. Sometimes people say things, and it hits you. And it was the wrong thing. It was the wrong word at the wrong time. It's just like there can be the right word at the right time. There can be the wrong word at the wrong time. That was the wrong word at the wrong time. And all of a sudden, it's just like, I don't, now I was, then I said, Lord, well, you know what? In a way, thank you. Because now I get to live into what I'm actually talking about, and I wasn't even expecting it, right? <laughs> and the thing is, I looked at Nehemiah's thing. You know what? One of the things that was most difficult for them was what their supposed friends and allies were saying to them. That was what he says. He says, those that were living outside of the city, they came back and they told us, you know what? You guys will never make it. You're dead. If you keep this up, you're finished. Now, there was an element of truth. Their enemies were about to attack. But you know what? There was nothing in that statement that said, but God is with you. Look how far you've come. Look at what's happening now. I believe that the Lord will provide. Nothing. It's one thing to acknowledge the reality of the trouble, but we need to also acknowledge. And you know what Nehemiah does? And this is what we'll finish with. Verses 13 and 14, he says, So I, play, I placed the armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families that armed them with swords and spears and bows. And then, as I looked over the situation, Nehemiah writes, you know what I did? I called together the nobles, the leaders, and the rest of the people. And you know what I said to them? I said, listen, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, but instead, remember God. Do not allow fear to grip you right now. And don't, don't get focused on all the things that are wrong or are going to happen or may happen. Folk, remember, remember the Lord. 
Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Remember him. Get your focus back where it needs to be. And then, if that's not enough, don't fear. Remember the Lord. And then he says, and, and, and by the way, look around you right now. Look ar- I want you to look around you. I want you to look. See, I want you to look. I want you to see your brothers. See your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and, and, and your friends and your brethren. I want you to look. Because w- we're doing this for one another. And I'm going to say this. There are times when the Lord, when we're going to feel discouraged, and the Lord is going to say to us, listen, do not be afraid. You need to remember the Lord and remember the people that God has given you to be a blessing to. And that growth, that building, that willingness to struggle, to get better, is worth it. I believe there are people, not just in our own families. Do you know how much blessing God wants to distribute through you down the line? Do you know that God has divine appointments set up for us? Conversations that we're supposed to have somewhere along the way that are going to potentially alter a person's life who will alter another person's life, who will alter a generation of lives. What I'm saying is all the good that's going to come from us simply committing ourselves to letting God build something in our lives. Listen, God has things he wants to build out, debris that needs to be removed, and things he wants to build in for safety and strength. We need to work with him. Let him do it. The blessing that will flow will not even be measured in our lifetime. We cannot know the good that it will do. Just like, listen, uh, there, we've been reading about just evil stuff in the news. Just like, how can people do these things? I mean, okay, we can. In the same way, because it's there, it's just there. We have a contradiction in, our, in the human heart. Good and bad is there in every one of us. But we have the same capacity to send down blessing in the opposite way. God wants us to be the people. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow after me all the days of my life. That's what I'm leaving behind me along the way. So when our day is done, blessing, blessing has flowed out. Every one of us is people to touch. Divine appointments. God has good things he wants to build in us. Let's pray, let's pray. Okay, Lord, I thank you. I thank you so much for your extraordinary faithfulness towards us. And I pray that you would continue to build your purposes through us. And I pray that you would continue, Lord, to remind us of the areas of our lives that you wanna, you wanna, you wanna challenge us around, you wanna call us to have breakthrough in. And I keep thinking about all the good that will come because of the willingness on our part not to quit midway through or to give up or let fear dominate us or to fall back into a place where we're just discouraged and we stop trying. Instead, Lord, stir our hearts. Stir our hearts to be a people of courage, trusting you. Fear not. Remember the Lord. Remember the people we've been called to bless. And let's be inspired to grow and to serve you better, especially in the days ahead. I pray for this, Lord. Keep working in us. I pray that you would bless these closing minutes. Let the the song that we're closing with be a sort of fitting ending of declaration of your great faithfulness towards us and bless our time of giving as well. May we be faithful and honor you this as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, God, and amen.